welcome to you all, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Footwetic Podcast, uh, episode number 27. It's wonderful to have your company once again as you join myself, Chris Oakley, uh, along with the uh, three people that uh, make this podcast what it is. Uh, I won't say what exactly it's for you to determine, but anyway, let me please, uh, if, if I may, welcome aboard my ever-present uh, football attic co-blogger, Rich Johnson. Hello, Rich. Hiya. <laughs> <laughs> along with uh, uh, not uh, only Jay from designfootball.com. Hello, Jay. Hello. But also uh, John Devlin from truecoloursfootballkits.com. Hello, John. Hello, Chris. Hi. Great to be talking to you all once again for this, uh, the fourth in our series, uh, looking at the 50 greatest football shirts ever. Uh, if you have no idea what we're talking about, uh, welcome. Uh, you basically will need at this juncture to go along to uh, thefootballattic.com because there you'll find uh, a series of daily posts that we've been publishing for some time now. And at the time of recording, uh, there's only one left to go, and that's the number one shirt. But basically, it's covering what we think are the 50 greatest football shirts ever, strangely enough. And uh, on these podcasts, we've been covering 10 at a time. And uh, today, we're starting off with uh, number 20 in our countdown. And we're going to tell you uh, along the way why we've uh, nominated and indeed placed uh, said shirts in our countdown. So with that, I suggest, fellas, that we begin with number 20 on our list. It's a, a shirt that was nominated by Rich and it belongs to Olympique Lyonnais. Uh, it's their 2010-2011 away shirt uh, made by Adidas. And uh, Rich, perhaps you could uh, give us a bit of an insight as to why you nominated and why it's so fantastic. First, <coughs> excuse me. Firstly, can I just get Jay to uh, give us the correct pronunciation of Olympique Lyonnais in case we've got it wrong, because we probably have. Go on, go on, that's Jay. about right. That's, that's not bad. That's good enough, wasn't it? Surely. That's, okay. that's all right. Olympique Lyonnais. Yeah, that's all right. I just, like, I just like you leaping in with indignation and going, that is not how you pronounce it, <laughs> in your very French accent. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah. he does these podcasts with a string of onions around his neck. I don't know if you realise that. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> you crazy English. <laughs> he's Mexican. He's Mexican. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. So the Olympic. Sorry. 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 Uh, the Olympic Lyonnaise. I mean, this is again. It's one of those ones that has been included purely, uh, almost like from a design aesthetic. You know, um, there's there's no real sort of particular story behind it. Uh, there's no um, you know kind of legacy or anything. It's not been worn in a massive tournament or anything. It's just purely on aesthetics. Um, although I did actually refer it to a new uh, a Las Vegas uh, carpet, a casino carpet design. Um, <laughs> But I think it's also it's a, I, that's mainly because I couldn't think of what the actual design would be described as. Um, so it's a kind of maroon color with a sort of overlaid pink Las Vegas casino carpet design on it, um, and all the trim is done in a kind of light. It's actually it's not really gold. It's more of a kind of I think what would be described as an ecru. Uh, it's a kind of uh, beigey gold color. Um, and it just looks amazing because again, I made the point in my article that it's around. This was around the time when uh, Leon, particularly, and Marseille were getting um, rather increasingly crazy designs for their away and some of the home shirts as well. Um, and this sort of just cropped up right in the middle of it. And uh, one of the best things about it was, I think, the numbering on the back uh, was done in a normal sort of numbering style. But if you could buy a replica version of it, which had. Uh, numbers in the style of the front of the shirt so it had kind of uh, like gold numbers but with the same sort of pattern that's on the front oh. of the shirt rendered in gold uh, which looked amazing so much so <laughs> that my friend at work who, who he's into football but hasn't just constantly looks at me with disdain whenever we talk about kits he wanted to buy one well, as soon wow. as he saw it 
So uh, high praise indeed. Uh, but yeah, it's just like I say, purely on aesthetics, it just looks amazing, you know. And it's it's not a, a particular um, popular color, I guess, for shirts. And and then when you stick the pink overlay on the front, it's it's one of those ones that you either like or you hate. And I think I don't think we actually got any responses from anybody off it, other than maybe it was just stunned silence. So. I think, yes, I you, you rendered everyone mute with your selection there. <laughs> uh, if I could just clarify, uh, just to completely confirm this image in people's minds, it's not really uh, gold. It's more sort of Austin Allegro beige. Uh, right. Um, Jay, as, uh, as a resident Frenchman, I think I should come to you next. I should have probably come to you first, but it was nominated by Rich. So, uh, Jay, uh, what's your views on this one? Yeah, I, I th this reminds me a little bit of the, the other... Uh, Rich mentions the Olymp uh, Olympique de Marseille shirts as well. Uh, around that period, were had such strong patterns and that kind of thing. Uh, were sort of bespoke for those two French teams from Adidas. And the one that he nominated before is is a similar sort of style in the the contrast of gold and blue on on a Marseille set away or third shirt that was included in our list a, a, a few shirts ago. Um, this one works a lot better for me. Uh, the, the purple and pink pattern. It seems a little bit more structured. There's um, the the contrast with the the ecru, as we say, works quite well. The Austin Allegro. I, I like these references that we're making. Last week it was uh, was it Dick Emery? Dick Emery. Emery. <laughs> Dick Emery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, no, Austin and Allegro. This is perfect. It's a very seventies um, theme running through this. <laughs> Never, that, never let it be said that we're not relevant to the modern world. Um, but the yeah, the, this shirt is. It is. It works quite well aesthetically. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, of Stade Francais, which is the rugby team which has kind of gaudy patterns on their rugby shirts. But this this is a little bit more classy than that. Um, yeah, it's not bad at all. Something I did want to mention. Uh, Rich talks about the the numbering in in France. So there was an option to have numbering with with this pattern as, as an inlay, which is great. Uh, in France, what they do is the league will provide sort of uniform number in print uh, number in and I think you can basically have it in whichever colours you want so I think there's restrictions in England but in France if you just say well this is what our kit is um, they will give you whatever numbers you want which whichever colours that you want on your normal block numbering um, and also something to know about the the French numbering is it's a lot smaller so you probably look, it's probably about the same size as um, as kids numbering in England uh, but the reason why it's so small is so you can fit more sponsors on the shirt. <laughs> I don't know if that's depressing or um, actually quite uh, infusing, but yeah, that, that's the reason for it. But there's a great detail that the alternative printing, which they possibly would wear in Europe, um, actually keeps the pattern inside. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I'm just looking actually at, at looking at historical information about it, looking at football shirt culture when the shirts were originally leaked. And the um, the general consensus back then was that they were hideous. I mean, there were really some negative, negative um, comments there. But I, I I think all of the French Adidas domestic shirts are brilliant. I just love them. They're so indulgent. They're nothing. They just they just look great. And I think sometimes a shirt doesn't need a concept. It doesn't need something to hang it on. It just needs to look good. And I, that's why I've got such a thing about the these French Adidas shirts. They just look magnificent. They really do. And it's interesting, though. They really are love-hate, though, aren't they? I think you, you don't sit on the fence with these shirts at all. But I think they're so well-constructed. They're so well-considered. It's, um, yeah, look, brilliant, brilliant. Love them all. Yes, um, I've seen some of these uh, rugby shirts of which you uh, speak 
Jay, and um, I don't know if they're still sort of doing them. Is it was it only sort of Stade Francais that had those very floral-looking shirts or very gearish-looking shirts? I don't know if there was a few few. I think so because I've seen the Stade Francais. I think they I've actually I think I saw their shirt for this season, and it's it's a lot more watered down than it used to be because Stade Francais used to have some mental designs. Yeah, Quite religious right. as well. Is that right? That right? It's all religious, religious imagery, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. Well, I I yeah. love those. I just love the fact that they're so sort of intricate. And um, yes, there's. I mean, I think you, where you made the uh, comparison with a uh, uh, Las Vegas carpet. I think, um, Rich. I think I was. I, I thought at one point I might end up writing that post. And the analogy I was going to use is that somewhere up in Birmingham, there's a, a an Indian takeaway that's without its uh, wallpaper. <laughs> um, but um, either or, it works for me. Um, I just yeah, I love the I love the the colours and um, just the the sort of very floral intricate decoration on on the print on the front. I just think it's fantastic. Again, uh, little else to say. It's just uh, in terms of sort of peripheral styling, it's just the main colour scheme and the pattern. Very nice indeed. One that I would like to own and indeed wear myself, if I may say. But um, there you go. Um, um, so that's um, sorry, go on. Sorry, yeah, just on the point of rugby shirts again, something worth checking out. Um, there, Every few years there's a rugby sevens tournament and international tournament, and sometimes it's in Dubai or somewhere like that. But what the teams tend to do is wear a, a sort of, um, what's the word, customised version of the, the full 15-a-side games shirt. Mm. Uh, and the last tournament was... The final was recently, about a month ago, I think, between England and France, and the shirts are really, really interesting. So it's worth checking that out. They're they're like a version of the of the fifteen aside uh, fifteen aside team shirt, but with with more elaborate. So something else going on. So the England shirt had lots of little mini St George's crosses on, and and if you look through the, the seven shirts of the last few years, it's really um, it's worth having a look at. They're very, very interesting designs. I think rugby allows that um, avenue of exploration with kit design as well that football doesn't. There's mm. these, it kind of permits these little events and little things that allows Peter designers to let their hair down a little bit and still produce stuff that's really, really creative and really exciting. Yes, indeed. Um, just uh, one thing I've just noticed, and might be just me being um, having an overactive uh, imagination, but the print on that uh, Olympic Lyonnais shirt is it's a bit like one of those kind of psychological um, uh, those cards they put in. They say, "What does this remind you of?" And it's kind of like some splodgy sort of. It's like the, that. the raw, raw sash ink block test. In, ink block test. I did. I did actually mention it in my article. And I completely forgot to mention when talking about it. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. Just inadvertently reference that post. Uh, go and read it, everyone. Um, okay, well, we move on now to number 19 in our countdown, and uh, we go back to Rich for this one. It's uh, one that I think uh, some people uh, thought would be a, a lot higher up just due to Rich's um, insane interest in the subject matter. It happens to be the Argentina, I, I say insane in the nicest possible way, uh, Argentina's 1986 home shirt uh, made by Le Coq Sportif, and uh, Rich, it's all yours. I'm just finishing off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lovely mental image. Um, oh man, uh, yeah. I, uh, frankly, uh, the fact that this is only 19 in the uh, thing, uh, I nearly, I nearly actually uh, killed you all uh, because this didn't get higher. Because I'm just, I'm still, I still can't get over this, and our friendship is a, a breaking point here. <laughs> um, this is one of those ones where it's. We we the one thing we've really tried hard to do in this whole to- in this tournament in this whole um, <laughs> countdown 
was like a tournament, um, is steer away from choosing shirts just because of their, their iconic status. Now, I'm not going to mention any particular shirts because I've been told off for doing that in a post and then I had to remove it and sorry, <laughs> Daddy. Um, <laughs> but this is one of those shirts where on the face of it, when you look at it, it's incredibly plain. So it could easily be accused of being in this list because not only because I'm obsessed with it, um, but also because it's, you know, that Argentina won the World Cup in it. So it therefore has some degree of iconic, iconic status. However, I would counter that by saying that I don't think this shirt is particularly iconic in itself because although Argentina won in it, I don't think outside of Argentina and my house, most people even particularly care or remember anything about it. Whereas if you ask them to name, say, like, you know, like the shirt that England won in 66, they could draw it instantly. Uh, and similarly with the Brazil 70 kit. Whereas with this, I think uh, almost certainly everyone would put the central stripe as being blue. Which would be wrong, and that's what I love about this shirt. <laughs> it's one of the many intricate details I love about this shirt. Is the fact that they, that it, contrary to most, like ninety-nine percent of Argentina shirts, the middle stripe is white, and I don't know why, but that I just really love that. I just love the fact that it's such a break from the norm. Um, and the only other time they've generally done that is when they were trying to rip off. The Argentina '86 shirt, which they had for, which Adidas did for 2010. Second thing, it's got holes in it, right? It's got air techs, which is the best shirt material in the world. I don't care if it's the middle of winter and your nuts are freezing off; you should be wearing air techs at all times. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's my that's my air techs rant over there. Um, but again, I, and trying to sort of raise it above, it's just those little details, and I I like them the fact that it is actually quite a plain shirt because to me it's like you don't always have to have some particular intricate detail and, and total contrast to the last shirt that we had which was all about the detail this is this is kind of all about the shirt as a whole because apart from the, the, the niceties that I've mentioned so far when you look at the shirt as a whole it's just incredibly plain blue and white stripes, the sleeves are made of exactly the same material, there's no extra trim on it, it's just all the, it's all just blue and white stripes and I actually love that about it it's the fact that and I made that point about the Inter Milan kit uh, that we had recently uh, the fact that I, I kind of get bored and I think John's made this point about Adidas always doing stripes wrong I get bored of seeing striped shirts where the sleeves are completely different I'd, I actually like to see a shirt with stripes all over it you know Newcastle oh. shirts have stripes all around it there's nothing wrong with that and some people will say no oh, it's not really designed but actually Compared to what everything else that goes on at the moment, it is, um, yes. and and yeah, it, and it just looks great. And it's it's just it's again, it's just a nice clean shirt, except when it's got mud on it. When she hasn't, <laughs> he said under his breath. <laughs> Start that. Over to you, John. Take the floor if you if you uh, would be so kind. <laughs> I haven't got a huge amount to add to it, really. I mean, it's it's one of those shirts. That I think the beauty is in its functionality, and so many shirts today aren't functional. They don't. They don't really do the job in some respects. They got they're geared up for a replica market, but this this does. I mean, it's blue and white stripes, perfectly balanced. As as um, Rich just said, I'm a massive fan of regular stripes, treated you know and considered the classic football styling, isn't it? Stripes, rugby hoops, football stripes. Get yeah, yeah. it right. It's not difficult. Um, so yeah, change it around a bit, but in essence, keep it consistent. Um, it doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. But no, it's a good-looking shirt. Yeah, good-looking shirt, and and fit for purpose, which is what you need. And Jay, uh, yeah, I I agree with all that. And the what Rich says about 
yeah, the iconic nature of the shirt is bound to slip in, and it's it's going to be subconscious. So you, you, we can always say, oh, we we can't have anything that's iconic. Well, we will have things that are iconic. We won't know that they're iconic. But I, I didn't say we know. couldn't have things. I just said that we we've steered away from picking things purely yeah. because they're iconic. Mm. Yeah, that's that's. But we're going to struggle to do that because we won't know to what extent we like something because it's iconic versus it's a great aesthetic design that someone has, has poured their heart and soul into when they put it together. Which clearly, apart from someone having the eureka moment of saying, let's have a, a white central stripe on this shirt, they, they haven't spent a lot of time putting this shirt together. It's very, very simple. You would assume, and even in the 80s, you, you wonder to what extent people did how much effort was actually put into a Lecoq Sportif shirt in, in a simple Lecoq Sportif shirt in the 1980s. Maybe it was. Maybe that is the less is more attitude. It actually took a long time to to come to that conclusion. But yeah, it is, it is a great shirt. And sometimes it is as simple as sky blue and white as a combination works really, really well. So immediately you've got a great starting point to say these two colours will look great together. Uh, Again, what I listened to John on the on the last podcast, and that's a, a fantastic point that, that Nike managed to do. All right, Nike obviously didn't make this shirt, but to say that Nike ma- managed to better Adidas in terms of stripes is is surprising and uh, kind of ironic as well. When when your whole feature is the fact that you you have stripes on in a shirt, and then you can't make a football shirt that striped look good, it, it's pretty yeah. appalling. And the sleeves thing is to to all you need to do is have the stripes down the sleeve as normal, unbroken, just straight down the, sl- the sleeve, and you treat it as an extra stripe of the shirt, and then you have a space, and then you ha- carry on with with the normal stripes of the of the sleeve anyway. It's just why Adidas get that wrong, and they put all this different structure around it, and they put these patches in, and oh no, it's <laughs> it's really poor, and it's it's surprising that Nike and Nike get a bad rap because they're they're so opportunistic sometimes that 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 they can actually do stripes better than than Adidas is is quite shocking really. Nike get the basics very very right, don't they? I think a lot of the time. Yeah. And the stripes thing is a yeah case in point. <coughs> oh, I'm just gonna uh, actually uh, make an interesting point there yourself, Jay, uh, about the uh, the fact that you know it's got a it's got a plain collar, a round neck collar in white, and and it's and you could be mistaken for thinking that they didn't spend much time on it but if I sort of think back to the collars that we I think Lecoq Sportif were using on shirts for say France and uh, certainly uh, Saint-Étienne in the early 70s they had this kind of strange kind of uh, well not strange but they had this kind of wrap over um, kind of collar um, with the blue white and red in both cases actually um, um, and so that was a very stylized collar. And they were doing that even in the early 70s. I mean, there was nothing like that, so far as I can recall, off the top of my head, in, the, in English football at the time. And so they must have evolved from a point of going from something very stylized in the early 70s to hit, reaching this point with Argentina in the mid-80s. And they've actually, I think, deliberately pared it right down and said, we're just going to have a plain, round-neck, white collar because that is all it needs. And it works. It just is absolutely <coughs> spot on. Well, the thing is, Chris, you're right, because both the shirt that preceded and succeeded this one had a wrap-over collar on it. So it literally, if you look at all the shirts in in chronological order, this was one of the few that had a very basic uh, crew neck on it. All the rest had more intricate wrap-over collars, and and they changed their shirts a lot back in the day. 
Um, I'm, I'm, we had we did actually have two comments on this one, so I'm going to read those, uh, and and they're very funny comments. I like them. Um, <laughs> our first one is from Dotmund, which is our old friend Ed Carter, and he put. And, and I totally agree with this. Not enough people notice the middle stripe. It baffles and maddens me in equal measure that they don't, because it makes a big difference, viz, whether the shirt is white with sky blue stripes or, as is the case here, sky blue with white stripes. People mm. whose teams do not wear striped kits have no soul. Also, no trophies if they happen to come from England. <laughs> 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 Which I think is just perfect. And uh, James Taylor, my old mate, uh, only 19. What happened, Rich? Well, yeah, quite. Yeah, democracy again doesn't work. I was expecting this to be number one. Lest we forget that unlikely goal scorer Jose Luis Brown uh, wore a version of the shirt in the final with white cuffs, which is very true. It had white cuffs on the sleeve, the only shirt that did, weirdly enough. Oh. And I don't with that thing that you said before, Rich, on a previous podcast, that they kind of arrived in Mexico and went down to a local sports shop and bought a load of shirts. Is it? No, that that, that was specifically for the quarterfinal against England. But th- ah, this was weird because all the way through the tournament, they'd worn exact their home shirt never changed. But in the final, uh, yeah, he had one with the cuffs on it on the sleeves, which is just bizarre. Um, do do you know that that one was Airtex? Uh, I don't know. I think it was. Uh, I will check that. I'm pretty damn sure it was. That should be easy enough to check because he scored one of the goals, so there should be enough. Um, and with I'm that, pretty... literally pairs of people around the world are now going off to search that stuff out. <laughs> also, I just mentioned as well, I mean, that really sums up the 86 World Cup, that it, it, all the kits there were, were doctored and tailored specifically for the heat. And I think having removing the cuffs, again, was a, was a conscious thing to, you know, make the shirts cooler. So you might be right, Jay, maybe that wasn't the ATX one. And, uh, yeah, yeah, could be. That that was that happened with the England shirt, didn't it? As well, they removed the cuff right. off the England shirt. Yeah, and yeah, um, the, although it was actually a completely different shirt, wasn't it? it? It kind of it looked the same from a distance, but it was a completely different shirt. Yes, yeah, thicker mm. shadow stripes on it. And the Scotland one, they got rid of the the horizontal banding, I think, because again they went the Airtex route as well. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Well, there you go. Uh, the uh, just on the the logic of Airtex, Rich mentioned even if it's cold, you should uh, you should wear an Airtex shirt. There is actually some. <laughs> There is actually some science behind that. Isn't isn't the reason why uh, you can wear a string vest and it still keeps you relatively warm is because it keeps like pockets of air in those spaces and that, that uh, only if you the... only if you have a layer on top of it though. If oh, you don't, okay. If you have a layer on top because then it traps the air. That's the whole point of a string vest or tea bag material if you like. Um, but yeah, if you're actually wearing it without anything, it probably traps some air, but it you know and it, most of the air is just going you know into space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jay from Design Football, string vest correspondent. Uh, <laughs> right, there we are. Um, well, at that point, I think it's good uh, good to be moving on to number, uh, where are we, 18, I suppose it would be, on our countdown. And uh, on this occasion, we are focusing on the Aberdeen home shirt, uh, worn between 1976 and 1979, made by Admiral. Um, and uh, this is one that, uh, well, I nominated it originally. I think you may have nominated it as well, um, John, and certainly you wrote the article in the end. Uh, I thought perhaps you might like to give us a bit of a description and uh, an appraisal of that shirt, please. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I'll, get, I'll, I'll keep it quite brief. It's a relatively straightforward shirt, really. Um, typical kind of Admiral Bold stylings from that era. Uh, decent collar, multi-trimmed. 
no no badge on it, interestingly. I think a couple oh. of cup finals, they may have had a badge on. I think a badge was embroidered on at some point. But really the most striking design element of it is the uh, sequence of five, and I think later four, I'm not sure, um, white vertical stripes on the, on the left-hand side of the shirt. Again, it's something that we see quite a bit nowadays. It's still one of those, you know, admirable things where they're influencing kit design even now. But I think back then, what they were doing, which is why this shirt is so good, they were taking plain, ordinary shirts. You know, it could be anybody. You know, it could be Liverpool, could be Aberdeen, could be whoever. But giving them a design element that made them instantly recognisable. And in some respects, a lot of the purists said, oh, no, it goes against, you know, traditional football colour tradition, etc., etc. But really what they were doing was almost enhancing these clubs' identities because they were recognisable, you know, at a glance. You knew if you saw that, any football supporter of, you know, my age, mid-40s, you'd look at that and think, yeah, Aberdeen. You knew who that was. And I think when you look at it back now, it's really interesting that by doing that, it actually gives more identity and more recognisability, is that a word? I don't know. (laughs) To these clubs. It is now. I'll copyright that. um, New word, Claxon. It's brilliant. It's again. It's another typical way that Admiral have really, you know, really got their their teeth into football design back then, and uh, and made a great looking shirt out of it. The fact that the stripes continued on the shorts as well is also something that's quite quite good and something that Admiral excelled at. So uh, yeah, it it just really enhances the the club's you know identity, and that's what I love about it. That's a fantastic point, actually, John. Yeah, you just it, a specific motif like that can become just joined at the hip with the club and it becomes part of their yeah absolutely i never really thought in that way but you're spot on yeah um, i'm going to go next and be selfish because as i say i did at least uh, nominate this one um this was just one of those shirts that i just remember from as a kid growing up i was getting into football in the sort of late 70s early 80s and it was just around it was everywhere it was in your panini sticker book it was on tv it was everywhere and um and the whole thing about the stripes was um absolutely well, I think what really um, sort of hit home with me about it, and I hadn't even considered this until much later in life, was because it's another um, asymmetrical design from Admiral. They did a few of these, I think, and um, the fact that the stripes only went down one side of the shirt, didn't go down the other side. You, know, you usually find with, with football kit design that if you have a stripe on one shoulder, it has to be on the other and stuff like that, and on one side of the shorts, it has to be on the other side of the shorts. Admirable. Admirable. <laughs> Admiral. <laughs> Um, were brilliant at just saying no. We're going to rip up the rule book. We're not. We're not going to say. You know, it, we're not going to suggest that you have to have things on both sides of a shirt or on shorts. We're going to go just down one side. And it was. And I think that's what it was. That's what made it so distinctive. And and I think, you know, that's exactly the sort of creativity and imagination I like to see in football kit design. And and um, the white stripes on 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 the red background worked. Um, I remember reading um, last year. Uh, Bert Patrick's book all about his sort of days running Admiral and um, or I think uh, Admirable as it used to be known back in the uh, 70s and um, he there's a bit in there where he said he, he went to uh, pitch to uh, Bill Shankly at Liverpool the reason you, you sort of mentioned that Liverpool there uh, John and um, apparently it's uh, cutting it very short but it sounded like it was almost a done deal Liverpool nearly ended up with an Admiral kit but they at the last minute, I think it was the board at Liverpool sort of over overruled Bill Shankly and said, "No, we're not going to. You know, we're going to stick with Umbro." 
But I'd like to think that this this design could well have ended up with Liverpool. I can see Liverpool wearing it in a strange sort of way, in a in a, in a strange other world somewhere. But um, it's just a lovely design. All that multi trim, which Admiral used to use on so many different kits, I think is great. Lots of detail. It's one of my sort of things really that I like. And um, it's a superb kit. And yeah, it, it can only be Aberdeen. I think there there was uh, a different. What was it, John? Did they have this in in their away kit? Was it? I can't even remember now. Was it white? Oh, white with red? Or was it yellow? I can't remember now what it was. Uh, they had two of them. They had a yellow and black one. You know, the typical yes. Admiral very pale yellow. They, they always went for a very pale yellow shade, and also a red and uh, white and red version as well. I believe. Yeah, I thought I'd say but, those. Um, yes, that's right. Mm. But it's interesting you mentioned the asymmetrical nature of it. I hadn't, do you know, it's really funny. I hadn't really picked up on that. And I think it, the shirt, even despite that, it looks so well balanced, doesn't it? I think having yeah. that Admiral logo, it balances it. And when, when we had that asymmetrical, asymmetrical trend about, what, 10 years or so ago, you know, the beauty of that was, in my eyes, that we, we did make you stop and stare and look again. But this yeah. Aberdeen one has a perfect balance about it. Well, they did. They used that whole thing, like with um, with Luton and a few other teams, or just like maybe one stripe or a series of stripes down one side of the shirt, works really well. Lovely. Um, okay, I've got to come to you now, Rich. Uh, your thoughts on Aberdeen's shirt? <coughs> I hate it. <laughs> no, I don't really. Um, I really like. <laughs> I, I I like it as well. I mean, I, I've made this point before several times on the on podcasts and stuff that um, Admiral was before my time, and that when I eventually look back at them, actually, you realise how great some of them were. And again, it's it's another sort of design that's not really been utilised much uh, over the rest of kit history and it's even I mean if you, when you think about it Adidas could easily use it now because they've got the three stripes so they could do the three stripes down one side of the shirt but nobody seems to have used it I, I just love I, I don't know I just love it I, I love the fact that it's like off center so it's like a nice asymmetrical design and mm. um, <clears throat> it, I, I just think it looks really great and again it's another one of those ones that I just look at and instantly like so I don't have mm -hmm. much more to add I'm afraid but I, I just I just think it's a great looking shirt well, before I come to you, Rick, yeah. uh, before I come to you, Jay, sorry, I was just going to say we have had one comment via our website on this one uh, from our old friend Anonymous, uh, hello whoever you are, who says uh, the original Admiral Stripey template had three stripes to begin with, but a certain brand with the three stripes took notice and threatened legal action if they didn't change it. Uh, that's why Man United started the 75-76 season with a three-stripe to wake it and upped it to four by October. Uh, the three-stripe version returned as a third kit for 76-77, though, so uh, interesting uh, info there, oh. a little bit of background info. So, uh, anyway, uh, sorry, over to you now, Jay. Um, yeah, the... I'm sure Adidas have actually done this, haven't they, at some stage, having the three stripes running vertically down one side of the shirt. I don't know if they did it in football or they've done it in rugby, or there might be a, a Newcastle shirt that, that rings a bell that, that might have oh, had something dude. along those lines. There was that strange old kind of green, golden, blue Newcastle wake. I think, didn't that have like three stripes it down did. one side? In? Yes, it, it did, didn't From it? The, through the badge. Yeah, oh, John is now that. holding up a copy of his book. For uh, you can't see this. Listener. There you go. Yes, it's Talk, uh, John. Oh well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Newcastle away ninety-seven, ninety-eight. A really, a really horrendous combination of navy orange and olive green. A very ghastly mix. But that was back then when Adidas did something different with their three stripes. So um, yeah, it's a good point. Good point, Jay. I bet you didn't describe it as a horrendous away kit in your True Colors book, though, John. <laughs> no, I, I searched for another word for my uh, pin-up thesaurus board, and uh, <laughs> unusual, unusual and challenging. There you go. That's diplomacy for you. 
lots to be said for it. Um, yeah, this this it's a, a brave concept to say we don't need a badge on our shirt because we're going to have a, a shirt so distinctive that we'll be instantly recognisable. Can I just ask, is it was this an Aberdeen shirt? Was this team wear that Aberdeen are the only team notable of, of, of wearing? Which was it? Did other teams wear it or not? I'm not entirely sure. A lot of teams wore that same design. I think a lot of Scottish teams wore it. So you might be right, but I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting point, Jay. Mm, it's, don't know about that. Good point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost a contradiction to say, actually, we're, we're not going to make our shirt distinctive, but somehow we'll, we'll, it'll be distinctive um, through us wearing it. But, yeah, the, the, the Liverpool idea, the Liverpool story is great because Bill Shankly apparently arranged the deal and then the board went back to him and said, no, you, Bill Shankly doesn't own Liverpool FC, so mm. we'll decide whether we sign to, to Admiral or not. And as a result, I think probably out of spite, didn't go through with the deal as a, as a result of that because Bill Shankly had taken it upon himself to, to put through this deal. So the story goes. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't necessarily see it as a Liverpool shirt. I think it there's probably a little bit too much white and a little bit too much going on in that period to be worn by Liverpool. But yes, it's... Um, it is it's incredibly distinctive, and as you say, it's almost synonymous with Aberdeen over that period because they're they're so notable as wearing it. Uh, and yeah, fascinating point that they didn't wear a, a badge on it or only wore a badge in in maybe a couple of cup finals. Um, the other thing about this is the the asymmetric element. Uh, if you check on Twitter, there's someone called Lacazica, <coughs> and a while back um, he he arranged he took a lot of football shirts that were asymmetrical. And he he put a mirror image of them, so he put a line down the middle and doubled up each side. So for each mm. shirt, he said, "What would be?" So in effect, one shirt was plain, and one shirt had this this design feature on both sides. And it's it's interesting to look at. He obviously then mm. edited the sponsor, so the sponsor was across it properly. But mm. if you can find those, they're they're really really quite interesting. And this is a shirt that you could maybe send to him, and and maybe he'd, he'd recreate it as a as a, a symmetrical shirt with the the design down both sides and see whether it would look that good that way. Um, mm. I, I think the best way it will look is is as it is a, in its original form, which is asymmetrical. But it's another another way of looking at it, another way of thinking about the design, whether it, if it holds up in that way as well. Yeah, I think just look, looking through the stuff I did for the Admiral book, Chris, that you mentioned, um, I think Dumbarton and Clydebank had also similar strips, but I think it was what Admiral, Admiral did was, you know, they, they got a design, but they always tweaked it, they, which is, of course, what tab templates work a lot of the time anyway, um, mm. unique to the, that colour scheme. So I think Aberdeen's colour scheme with that design would have been unique. And I think there's something really powerful to be said about that, that you can recognise these teams at a glance. Now, of course... You recognise them by the sponsor more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Another update there for you, because I've, I've been busy um, uh, researching in the background while uh, all the uh, conversation was going on. Also, John um, uh, Motherwell had a version in their three-stripe version, which was their away kit between 76 and 78, a white shirt with uh, claret and amber stripes as well. They did, and they had, and they had a two-stripe down one side for the home, which is interesting. You look actually look at it, I think at some point, Admiral used two, three, four, and five stripes in that design <laughs> across yeah. their clubs. It's, you know, that's good and stuff. that's why I love Admiral. I love them. Uh, the, um, the, the thing about, I think, I don't know if it was actually said, but, but the idea of Adidas going to Admiral and saying, 
actually we do the three stripes thing. If you consider Ireland, Adidas did the same thing to O'Neill's over there, and O'Neill's went, uh, yeah, we're going to carry on doing the three stripes thing, and they <laughs> have. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting thing, and and if you go onto the O'Neill's website and you want to buy, because they do all the uh, GAA Gaelic football and um, hurling kits mm -hmm. over there, or jerseys, I think you're supposed to call them. Um, if you go on the website, if you want to order one of their their tops, if you're in Ireland, you're okay to get a three-stripe version. If you want to buy it from outside of Ireland, you have to have a two-stripe version. They, oh, really? uh, there are ways around it, I believe, but you shouldn't actually choose any of those ways around it because that would be naughty. But the um, yeah, so in Ireland, it's okay to buy a three-stripe version, but not if you're elsewhere. And there is a they play every few years. There's a, an Ireland team which is plays against Australia in an international rules uh, match or series. And when they go over to Australia, they wear an O'Neill shirt, but it's only got two stripes on it because obviously they're they're outside of Ireland. Never knew that. I've got this image of um, Johan Cruyff working in a factory for O'Neill's, picking all the extra stripes off of all these shirts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little in-joke for all you football shirt enthusiasts. Um, anyway, let's move on, shall we? Let's uh, stay, actually, north of the border. We are now uh, going to look at shirt number 17 in our countdown. Be belongs to Celtic. It's their 2012-2013 125th anniversary third shirt. Uh, it's made by Nike. It's another one that was nominated by Rich. So I suggest, Rich, you uh, give us your thoughts on said shirt. Um, well, the point that I made... Uh, predominantly my article about this was that um, obviously nowadays um, anniversaries uh, are celebrated whereas they weren't always I mean I, I think uh, one of the things that I always mention is the fact that Coventry's 100 year anniversary kind of just passed without incident really there was no nothing on shirts or anything uh, not that anyone cared um, but Celtic's original 100th anniversary, and it's original and still the best, having only ever been one 100th anniversary. <laughs> um, they uh, what they did at the time was they, they, they back in those days you didn't generally tend to release a third shirt or a special limited edition thing because obviously the replica market wasn't as big. Um, so what they did was they um, had a very a very nice shirt, uh, but it was their standard home shirt, and um, they they changed the badge back to something approximating their original badge. Um, and then put some text under it, and that was the way you did things back then. Uh, but obviously not now, not now. No, the way you do it now is you just go mental and have like 60 shirts celebrating the 351st time that you played uh, in sunlight or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously with this being Celtic's 125th anniversary, uh, they wanted to do something special. And actually I think what they did, I think they did change the crest on the home one again. They didn't change the actual uh, crest itself, but... They put like some laurel wreaths around it and put some text under it that said it was the 125th. Um, but what they also did uh, was they released a special uh, third shirt for it. Um, but rather than go a bit crazy over it, they actually went the complete opposite way. And um, I think it was based on the the first the shirt that they wore the first time they ever played Rangers from May 1888. He says reading his article. Um, <laughs> And and what that was was basically a, a, a completely white shirt with a, a well I don't know if the original had a black collar but the the one they released was uh, with a very neat black collar um, and a a crest which again was based on their original one but the the great thing to note about it is that it's in keeping with the minimalist style um, obviously 
that would look gorgeous, and then you have a sponsor to come along and, and ruin it. Uh, but what tenants did is they agreed with the club that not only would they have their lettering um, under the badge in a very small font, but it's also in white, which is on a white shirt. So you can barely see it. So it, it is there, and obviously people will know, um, but you can barely see it. It's almost just like a slightly off-white grey colour. Um, and it's just a gorgeous shirt. I mean, it, it is proof, once again, that something doesn't have to be overcomplicated or have any you know, huge amount of design features in it to be, to be great-looking. And it's just for a white shirt with a black collar and a splash of green on it, it just looks amazing. Mm. What about your thoughts, Jane? Uh, yeah, I agree with everything uh, Richard said there. So it's a great point. The 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 tenants logo, um, it's it, it's an inspired decision really. And there's a if you can find it, there's a Celtic Quick News article which explains the logic from tenants' point of view of having their their logo as a as a white out version. So the idea is that you can't see it, but immediately you have a talking point where you say, oh, you know the tenants logo, where where initially you if a shirt's released you look past the sponsor logo, generally speaking, unless it's something very specific about it. But with this time, you go, oh, the Tenants logo. Oh, Tenants. Oh, Tenants. Oh, all right. Tenants have done that, have they? Okay. So you've got this huge talking point about them them actually saying, oh, you can't see our logo. We've really played it down this time. Well, they haven't because for the first time, the fans are actually talking about them, um, mm -hmm. which is a great idea from their point of view. The Nike swoosh uh, logo is actually white as well, so you can barely see that, uh, which is... It's it's great marketing all round. It's, it puts together a great shirt. Something else, uh, uh, Rich mentioned there is that um, Celtic will only have the the one centenary, the one hundredth anniversary, which again is is something that uh, their rivals Rangers might have won over on them um, by having a second hundredth anniversary uh, in about ninety eight years time. But th that's I digress on that one. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's a great design. Something I will point out, the, the idea of, and specifically the, the home shirt and the away shirt from that season, you talk about the, the detailing around the crest. It's a pity that in recent years, whether it's manufacturing costs or, or just it's, it's easier pr to produce for whatever reason, um, it's now sort of printed on rather than embroidered on. And you, you want things embroidering. I looked at the the new West Ham shirt for next season, which on the face of it is a nice, it is a nice shirt, but the the Berlin grounds script underneath the crest is just printed on, and it's such, it's so, so flimsy. It's like a, a temporary tattoo that you'd you'd get in Magaluf or something. It's really really poor, <laughs> and I think that's a shame. I think you you need to be embroidered and things like that, especially Umbro on that West Ham shirt. That it's it's their bread and butter is to embroider things and. It's a pity that they haven't done it with that one. But mm. yeah, going back to this show, it's, it is a nice. It's a it's a great effort. It's a great. Um, it's yeah, it's an idea. It's great, and and the uh, the way it was it was put across is um is has worked out really well as well. Yeah. Mm. John, I guess you uh, have uh, some kind of Celtic connection. We should be coming to you next. I do, yeah. Well, my family, my dad was born sort of very close, well, I lived very close to Parkhead, so all my family out there are all, all big Celtic fans. I mean, I think I think this is a brilliant show. I, I, I love it, but I do have a love-hate relationship with it, only because the, a, a contact of mine at Nike very kindly sent me a shirt of this. It's one of the few football shirts I actually own. But 
despite me giving him him my size, he sent me not only was it a size too small, it was a player spec shirt, so it's absolutely skin tight on me, and I can never wear it. And I don't know whether he did it as a joke, but it's a real shame. I just love the shirt. Can I, I, think it's can I just say? I just say, as a shirt collector who struggled for ages to get one of those, the fact that you're moaning about your fact you've got a player <laughs> spec version of it, f*** you, John. <laughs> yeah, I realise that. Did you get one, though? Yeah, I did. I actually managed to get one really cheaply as well. It was, I, was, I was really surprised. There was a guy, uh, I managed to find a guy selling it, and, and not only that, I I put in a best offer, which was below what he was his buy-it-now price, and and managed to get one, so yeah. But they they are like gold dust now. But you know, especially really? player spec versions, which nobody gets. <laughs> well, I mean, he always said to me, you know, the players are a lot fitter than you are. But uh, it was really because I put it on, and I just like I couldn't even breathe in it. It was oh, anyway. <laughs> that's like that's but like I any think, of my football shirts, though. <laughs> yeah, but I think um, what, what, what's so strong about this is just how Nike handled it so well with that, you know, that consideration and sort of sensitivity to what they were trying to achieve. Um, and the whole kit itself is brilliant as well. You've got these mm. really good black shorts and then gorgeous green and black hoop socks as well. So the whole ensemble was, is just superb. Um, and it's a really powerful move with the sponsors. I think Palace did something similar, didn't they? When, was, it, was it GA GAC? When they went back to a, a sash, I think GAC made their sponsor logo smaller as well. So it's actually mm. a very cunning move on behalf of the sponsors to occasionally shake that up a bit. So um, one, yeah. One final note on the sponsors, actually, is that I don't know if anyone... Uh, mentioned this already, but Rangers, obviously also sponsored by Tennis at the same time, also had the um, sponsor at the same size and font under their badge, although rendered in a proper black and white font, but they did the same. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned this before about um, Rangers and Celtic when they've had the same sponsors about sort of having certain kind of almost unwritten agreements between them about sizes and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, and that was, that was when you think about it. Rangers had absolutely no need to do that, so that was quite a strange thing to do, really. Hmm. Um, I just think. Um, was, sorry, go on, Jay. Sorry, was I might be a bit confused, but weren't Rangers celebrating some kind of anniversary as well? Was it was it their European Cup Winners Cup win or something? I think maybe it was it was something to do, to do with that. So they had a very classic looking shirt, so they wanted to minimise the the sponsor's logo as well. What Celtic do as well, and I'm not sure whether they did it for that third shirt, was you can choose the option of, of not having a sponsor on it at all, which I, I don't know whether that was possible on that shirt or not. But um, I, I, yeah, probably, I, I doubt it seems it wouldn't have made much difference. <laughs> no. I think Rangers, weren't they? I'm just looking at this now. Something's come from about 72. Were they commemorating something from 1972? The European Cup Cup win, that was... That's, yeah, was, that, must, yeah. that must be it then, Chris. Yeah, 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 that must be it. Yeah, the only thing I was just going to add, uh, it's just, I mean, it was alluded to earlier on, but it is kind of brilliant reverse logic because in terms of the sponsor logo, uh, the tenants thing, it's just, you know it's there, but you can't see it very well, but your your eye is drawn to it just to kind of double check what it is, so therefore you end up noticing it more, and I just think that's just incredible, really. And and but then you get the second sort of follow-up <coughs> thing, which is like, does it then become more of a distraction than the shirt itself? But uh, that's that's we're getting into kind of existential kind of <laughs> extrapolation. Well, I, th- I think I made the point in my article as well as the fact that it's it's kind of it, it's a double win really uh, because 
not only do does it not ruin the shirt, but I think someone did mention about this, but obviously get people talk about it because it becomes a feature in itself. So people are talking about the fact that the sponsor's logo is small and, oh, tenants have done something like this. And it's like, and it, and it generates goodwill because people go, oh, actually, that's, that's really nice. Tenants are being actually, you know, really respectful of the anniversary. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a win-win, really. They still get just as much, if not more, publicity and they get goodwill out of it. Mm. It's very clever. You're right. It's very clever. And I'm, surprising, I'm surprised we're not seeing more <coughs> manipulation of club and sponsor relationships on shirts. Take note. I think that there is a trade-off there sometimes. What what Coventry did a few years ago was they had an away kit in the colours of their. Yes. I think it was a bus company or something. No, so it's a parcel company, CityLink. Oh, CityLink. Yeah, couriers. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they had the the away kit in those colours, and then they had the the sponsor on the home shirt was was white and barely visible. I think wasn't it. As a, well, it was, know, it was yeah, a, it, was it, was very... it was when we were celebrating our uh, sort of 50 years of being the Sky Blues, and so we had a shirt that was uh, very retro themed. It's basically a, a copy of the one we had in the 60s, and because of that, um, CityLink agreed to have the sponsor in white on the home shirt. And like you say, the trade-off was that the away colours, the whole kit was in the CityLink colours. Hmm. Yeah, which is is it's never been so. Um... So transparent as that. <laughs> to, to, I don't know because because um, Reading Reading had a I think it was either an away shirt or a third shirt quite a while ago about five or six years ago. Yeah, the Waitrose one, which was literally just uh, a giant um, sort of Waitrose shopping bag, really, <laughs> <laughs> with armholes uh, in it. That's <laughs> just <laughs> attention to detail. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the only other thing just I thought of throwing there was just that they've obviously used their old badge rather than the kind of um, you know the, the the badge, the Celtic badge we sort of know from the modern era, which is a, obviously on the original shirt as it would have been all those years ago. But nice to kind of see that brought back again and given another airing there on the old anniversary shirt. Very nicely done. Um, and just the one if, comment before we move on, Chris. I was, I was, I was, I'll let you read the comments, but I wanted to mention something <laughs> before you move on to the next shirt. Sorry. Yes, go on. Carry on. Oh, I'll oh. do it now then. Um, Cuffgate update on Cuffgate. Um, I've been Cuffgate, uh, the Argentina shirts from the final. Oh yes. I've been I've been googling while we've all yes. been talking, and I found some interesting things. It seems that <laughs> I bet start, you have. it seems yeah. <laughs> yeah <I've got laughs> Uh, at the start of the match, it would appear that um, not only did Brown wear a shirt that didn't have cuffs on it, uh, but there's also a picture from the match later on which shows one of the other players wearing a shirt with cuffs on it. So what it appears, and actually I found another picture of Brown with a, a big hole in the front of his shirt where it's obviously been torn because uh, I think the air texture was a bit flimsy. So it might be that they swapped at half-time because there's two guys wearing wearing non-cuffed shirts in the in the team photo but by the end of the match, they're both wearing shirts with cuffs on. Mm-hmm. Interesting to Good me. Good work. Good work. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, sorry, to go off on another tangent about this, is just to refer to something, and we're talking about cuffs and, and sort of changes, slight changes in, in shirt design. Um, in the last podcast, uh, John talked about uh, long sleeve shirts and short sleeve shirts being different. He was talking about the center chain shirt, and there was an insert in the collar. For the um for the shorts uh for the long sleeve shirt there was an insert in the collar is that right and the short sleeve That's shirt didn't right, yeah. have it, it was just a V neck yeah the, <laughs> there are two reasons for this and I'm pretty sure about well I'm certainly sure about one of them and the second reason 
is is debatable, but um, I'm I've got a pretty strong feeling about it. The the reason why, and it would it would follow for the centre chain shirt, why the long sleeve version would would have an insert is is long sleeve shirts were considered for colder weather, so you would have a slightly more closed up collar. And something that um, a team that did this was uh, Italy in their first Kappa shirt. The short sleeve shirts had a V neck. The long sleeve shirts had a round neck. And the oh, thing really? it was, yeah. And they also did the the Arsenal thing, where if one player wore short sleeves and everyone else wore short sleeves, and the same with the long sleeve shirt. So um, it it was a, a uniform decision across the team. So obviously then players aren't wearing very different shirts in the same game. So the sure, two sure. shirts look very similar, but with a different collar design based on the weather. The other thing is. Um, the reason why shirts will look a little bit different, sometimes long sleeve shirts have a, a stronger watermark or something like that for, for cheaper designers. It sounds ridiculous, but sometimes it is the case. And the only reason I can think for that is that when you are folding up a shirt in a packet, you need to see very, very quickly in manufacturing for the kit man and so on, you need to see whether it's a short sleeve shirt in the packet or, the, or a long sleeve shirt. And obviously you can't see the lengths of the sleeves to know. And an example of this is the Tottenham shirt from a couple of seasons ago. Uh, they had a, I think it was a black and grey halves shirt. That were, I think it was their third shirt, Under, Under Armour shirt. And if you look at pictures of that shirt, the the short sleeve shirt had the badges aligned. The long sleeve shirt had one higher than the other, and and very very noticeably so. And the only reason I can think for that is so when it's folded up, you can very very quickly see whether it's the long sleeve shirt or the short sleeve shirt. It's a good theory, Jane. I like it. Mm. Uh, well, we've only had one comment on uh, the uh, the Celtic 2012-13 anniversary shirt, and that was from Austin Long, who basically just said, I love this one, and it's on my wish list, uh, which is probably uh, recommendation enough, I should think. Probably on a yeah, lot of get, people, one off, so. get one off John. He's got one that he doesn't even like. <laughs> <laughs> find out, find out if he's a big man, Chris, and we'll see what we can do. Well, okay, no, I'll wrong, do my but... best. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that could make for an interesting online conversation. Right. Um, <laughs> we move swiftly on to number 16 in our countdown, and this, I know for a fact, is a very popular shirt. Um, it was nominated by yourself, John, and it's the Ipswich Town 1982-1984 home shirt by Adidas, basically blue with some lovely white pinstripes. Uh, do tell us more, John. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's great that it's had such good feedback. It's always been a long-term favourite of mine. Um, we've talked, well, I've talked several times, few of my shirts really touch on this continental influence and how that then kind of like came through into the UK. And this is a great example of that um, because it really, it has that European feel about it that Adidas did so well in those days. And it almost feels like they were they were kind of testing the water in the, in the on the continent with these designs before bringing them over here. Essentially, it takes the classic blue uh, Ipswich shirt adds very, very, very fine pinstripes, finer than most other pinstripes at the time, I think, and um, adds a blue, non-contrasting v-neck and cuffs. But it's just such a stylish, stylish shirt. Ipswich were arguably just coming down off the peak of their, you know, peak of the Bobby Robson years, so they were slightly, slightly beginning to wane again. But there's just something about the way the shirt was put together that makes it so good, and it, it's interesting analysing it. I think a lot of it is the, the arrogance of it, the fact that, you know, traditionally a shirt would have a contrasting 
neck and cuffs. That's you know, there's been exceptions when that hasn't happened, but generally that is the case. And what Adidas did with these shirts, he said, no, do you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to make them the same colour as the shirts, but add this other decoration. And there is, there's a real kind of perverse arrogance or confidence about it. And I think that's so important with a team that they need to look good when they're playing. Um, and it helps it helps spur them on. If they know they look good, it can help. And uh, it, it just works so, so well. It's got the club's first ever sponsor on it, Pioneer. And, of course, the, the shirts that they wore once the season started um, had a much a much more sort of condensed, elongated uh, sponsor logo, whereas originally it was Pioneer's traditional logo at the time, which was quite small. And I think, again, there was legibility issues raised. So by the time the shirt kind of got to be worn in action, that had changed to this new new logo design. But it's a, it's a typical early 80s shirt, funny enough, Aberdeen wore a red version of it as well, it looked good, but there's something about this Ipswich one in the blue that really makes it stand out, and it's just, it, it, I think it is one of the most confident shirts of the era, mm. and, uh, I think, yeah, brilliant. I was just going to say, I think um, there, are, there are lots of pinstripe shirts from that era, and, and one that I've mentioned before on this podcast way back was um, the uh, the Norwich City shirt in yellow and green, which I think is another lovely sort of colour combination, mm. but in blue with the white pinstripes, just superb. Um, Rich, your thoughts? Um, it's nice. <laughs> Jay, your I, thoughts? I don't <laughs> uh, come back here, you. Uh, it's it's nice. It, I I like it. It's it's not one that I would particularly have immediately gone for. I can see why it's popular. Um, but yeah, so it's it's yeah. I, I like it, but yeah, it's good. It's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. uh, it's it's it is it's inoffensive. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm I'm damning it with faint praise there, but the uh, uh, the like most the interesting. Well, hmm, um, the, <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally can't say anything now. No, no, um, no we'll carry on. Shall we? <laughs> um, the 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 most interesting thing is is what you mentioned about the can can I have a bit more clarification on that so the the pioneer logo was was squeezed was it to yeah it's the pioneer logo originally was quite it's quite squat quite squat letters and it's got like a little a little graphic device on the left hand side and if you look at pre-season photos of the shirt, even the I think the the Ipswich team shot from 1981 will have them wearing that those shirts. Um, and basically, in, in design, taking a, a font like that, a typeface like that, you you kind of squash the sizing from right and left. Naturally, the type, the type, the letters become taller, and it gets more um, more visual space. It covers more visual area. So they kind of made the most of the the space available on the shirt, I guess. Mm. Is that would would something similar have been ha- uh, happened with the Hitachi logo for uh, for Liverpool? I'm not sure. Possibly. It could have been. I think. Um, Yes, they were. You're quite right, because I think Hamburg was sponsored by Hitachi, weren't they? And I think they had yes. a more traditional logo, and I think Liverpool actually had, maybe had two versions where, mm. yeah, you're right, it was very similar. Yeah. Mm. And I, I've, I've quite well avoided talking about this shirt too much, so... Uh... <laughs> Sneaky. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's just give you a, a sample of some of the comments. We've had lots of comments from uh, people about this one. Uh, Andy Rockall, our friend there, says, uh, wow, that's in my top three. I cannot wait to see what you have crammed into the top 15. Uh, there's a sort of... <laughs> I had somebody else making their own list, of which there are many, I think. Uh, Andy knows his stuff as well. I he like does. Andy. 
Well, John Bailey. It's a, it's a Spurs fan, so yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, John Bailey via the website said classic shirt for a great team. Uh, Gavin Hay via twi- via Twitter said uh, best shirt ever apart from Newcastle United Football Club ones I like. Uh, had that whole kit in 1981. Loved it. Total class, he says. Uh, my good. Sorry, go on, uh, John. Were you going to say something? No, I'm just I'm just pleased that there's been such positive oh. feedback for this. <laughs> apart yes, from yes. the gang. The gang here, of course. I'm just, I'm just surprised people like any old crap, you know. <laughs> oh God! It's, I mean, it's it's clear that it's not crap. It's oh, I think don't, don't take so literally, James. James. The mid '80s shirt or the '80s shirt with pinstripes. That's something that we're all in agreement on. Is is going to be a great shirt, and and this one maybe doesn't have um, too many points of interest, but it's a it's an Adidas shirt from the eighties with pinstripes, and you're not really going to go wrong with that. So it is, it's yeah, very aesthetically pleasing. I well, think it's that. Sorry, Chris. Go. No, go no, go on, Jay. Uh, John, rather. I was just going to say, I think the thing that makes it so good is the um, it is the fact that they they've dispensed with the traditional what you would expect to see the balance of of colour on a shirt and said no, we throw it out the window. It's going to be a blue neck blue cuffs and the fact that the pinstripes I maintain were, were very fine they were thinner than normal pinstripes I would suggest and I think that's what has given it that real uh, sort of classic look if you, if you like yeah. well, I was going to say at the risk of sort of stating the obvious I, mean, I think that the thing I remember from at the time why it was so kind of groundbreaking to suddenly see pinstripes on a, on a kit is because in you know certainly in the UK if not in many other com- countries you sort of think well you know, pinstripes are associated with like a three-piece suit. You know, sort of like something you wear at a yeah. wedding or or for a job interview, and and so therefore it's associated with class and quality. And to then, I just remember when they were introduced, it was almost like so right. So you can actually have pinstripes on a football shirt. Now that that suggests that that shirt is going to be quality. And it was just that association with, you know, pinstripes on a suit. Uh, it was almost like the inferral there, uh, the inference uh, there. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. Um, uh, what else? Oh, yeah, a good friend of mine, Damon Threadgold. Hello, Damon, uh, on Twitter. He said, only 16, number 16 in the countdown, that is. He said, questions the legitimacy of the whole series. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Kunwa Chong, hello, Kunwa. He says, gorgeous. Those pinstripes and non-contrasting cuffs and collar are so smart. He said, I remember buying this in the early 1990s. This was way before eBay, so I put an advert in an Ipswich Town program. He's thinking outside the box. Mm. Well done, old friend. So he knows his stuff, that guy as he well. Knows, he's a connoisseur, that man. Yeah. Well, on that yeah. note, we move, we move on to a, a shirt that's uh, very controversial, but uh, well worthy of inclusion in our top 50, that's for sure. It's number 15 in our countdown. It's the Hull City 1992-1993 home shirt by a match winner. That may not mean anything to you unless I use the phrase tiger stripes and then suddenly everything will fall into place I'm sure for you it was a shirt nominated by yourself Jay but it was an article on our website written by Les Motherby but um, for the purpose of this uh, tell us what you think about the classic Hull City tiger stripe shirt um, well the first thing is this this is an ever present in worst football kits ever lists and we we give that, that whole that whole genre a, a we're quite negative about that idea of, of 
the worst football kits ever. And and the reason why we put together this uh, list of 50 is is a, a reaction to that. Um, I don't. I think it does have some value, uh, not least because when you look at through those lists, a lot of the kits you look at are are actually fantastic. Um, I think. Dave Moore of uh, Historical Football Kits has released a book called The Worst <coughs> Football Kit Ever, something to that effect, and it's actually worth getting. It's a it's a nice book, um, but this this show is always is always mentioned uh, with those, and it's not terrible. It's actually fantastic. It's the mm. the structure of the kit that it's incredibly balanced. They are tigers. I mean, whatever you want to argue about their name, their nickname is the Tigers. So to have tiger stripes is incredibly apt, and it's done really well on this shirt. Everything from the the size of the sponsor to the the badge placement to the sort of placket collar neck is just wonderful. So yes, it does have. You could argue that they're gaudy tiger stripes, but they're faithful tiger stripes. It looks like a tiger skin, and um, yeah, it's. For me, it's it's almost shirt perfection. It it steps away from saying, okay, no, we've we've got these these rigid 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 ideas of what a, a football shirt should look like. We can't have a pattern, can't do all these things. Well, we've seen in this list of fifty, like with the Olympic Lyonnais shirt we saw recently, you can actually have an intricate pattern. And on this occasion, they've gone with a, a tiger skin pattern. And for me, it works brilliantly. Um, I wouldn't go too far down that road, Jay, of um, having a, a football shirt uh, based around your uh, club's nickname, because I think Northampton Town might be in a bit of trouble where that one's concerned. Um, I'll uh, leave you to figure that one out. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can only echo what you just said there, really. I mean, just the fact that it's it's just so innovative and daring, and it's exactly, as I probably said earlier on in the podcast, is exactly what I like to see somebody get kind of, you know, Pushing the uh, pushing the envelope, as they say, and, and just trying to do something different. And yes, it's garish. Yes, it's kind of bold. But why not? You need something like that just to kind of make people's eyes pop out and bit and go, oh, I see something something a bit different. Somebody's actually tried to do something, you know, based around something other than a plain shirt or a striped shirt or a hoop shirt. Talk about you know telling everyone that you know we've moved on. Um, in terms of sort of manufacturing techniques and and whatever, I mean, I just, I, I th yes, it's wacky and mad, but bloody brilliantly so, I think. Mm. Who else would like to uh, back me up on that? <laughs> well, I, I think it, I think it's a, a, a brilliant shirt as well. I always have done. I think it's, as Jay said, and, and Chris, as you backed up, it it really it really fits with who they are and what they're, you know, the club nickname, everything about it, and it's brilliantly executed as well. I think match winner are so unfairly criticised when you look back. They've got, it's got the shirt from a construction point of view, it's got a wonderful collar on it as well, a really good collar, and it's also got the match winner logo on these really innovative kind of hooped, um, not hoops, um, curved oh. designs on each sleeve. So you've got the badge on the front, over the heart, sponsor logo, match winner logos on each sleeve. You know, it's something different. They've, they've not just gone left, right, sponsor logo. It's, they've really really thought that through and, and Les's article I urge everyone to read it I mean if there's anyone that understands his club's kit design it's it's Les oh, yeah. and he points out as well that this shirt always would stick when in fact it was the shirt after it that is the real mm. you know the real one that didn't work it, it tried to follow that theme and failed abysmally um, and uh, yeah I mean I think this is it's just brilliant it's a really really good shirt and I, I reckon most Hull fans would probably like to get their hands on one even now uh -huh. And uh, last but not least, yourself there, Rich. Have you ever seen the film um, Reefer Madness? 
<laughs> what? Uh, no. Are, are you aware of this? Uh, it's a no. 1950s American PSA about the dangers of uh, marijuana. I was going to say um, smoking reefers, presumably. It, it, yes, and it, and it basically uh, follows a group of teens who, through whatever means, come to smoke some doobies um, and then go insane. And I think on the cutting room floor is is some footage of uh, one of them designing this shirt. <laughs> is what that painful build-up was leading to. Yeah, uh, it was not, not true, because I actually really like this shirt as well. Again... Um, I can only echo what everyone's already said. I mean, I, I am all for clubs trying something completely unique once in a while. I don't see the problem with it. And I think if they, if, if, you, if they had this all the time, it would clearly just become boring and look just stupid. But as a one-off, it's just like, why not? And, I, and it annoys me similarly. As I think we've all said the same thing when it appears on worse shirts ever. It's like, basically, mm. what those worst shirt lists means is stuff that doesn't look like stuff we're used to. That's what it actually yeah. means. It's not a worse <laughs> shirt. It's like, pull your head out your ass and do some proper journalism. Um <laughs> So, uh, so no, I, I think it's great, and, and like I say, I am all for shaking things up every now and again, and I just think this did it perfectly. And as Jay said, their nickname is the Tigers, so it's like you know they they can't complain. You know, if you're going to have a nickname of the Tigers, in fact, aren't they actually just called Hull Tigers now? <laughs> <laughs> Must be fine now, surely. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think the funny thing is, the only thing that really make, that doesn't work is the sponsor. I don't know how you can make it work, but. I just think in white it just doesn't work. I don't. I, like I say, I'm not entirely sure which mm. possible colour could go with it, or unless they put a black band across it, which would then ruin the aesthetic of the shirt. I was just going to say that, yeah. Hmm. But at the same time, I Do don't you know think you could take it off. I don't. I, didn't, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I think I, I really disagree. It's funny enough, I was going to say I think the sponsor actually really adds to it as well because it's a good solid logo. It's uh, nothing fancy, but it, it does yeah. the trick. And I I think the sponsor actually adds to it. It almost it almost breaks up that um, tiger print and reminds you that it is actually. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. You <laughs> yeah. shouldn't remove it because I think if you do remove it, then it just becomes almost like a a, a t-shirt in effect. But mm. I just I don't know. There's just I'm not I'm not criticizing the logo itself. It's just. The colour, I don't know, it's just, it doesn't, I, I think there could have been a better way of doing it. I don't know what that is, and I don't know if it's actually uh, involving any colours that exist at the moment, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure white wasn't the way. I think, I think the, 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 the structure, the bold structure of, of all the other embellishments actually manages to tone down the tiger print enough. So the bonus <coughs> logo is very, very, um, uh, it's... It's very, very plain, and obviously it has to be in white for it to show up, and that, that will always be a concession to the sponsors, or, or we've discussed it not doesn't always happen, but uh, especially early 90s, it was always likely to happen, that you'd, you'd want it to, to show as, as well as possible. But because the, the collar is so high profile as well, that it, it just manages to tone down the rest enough to make it the, the whole um, as, as good as it ends up being. Mm. I think um, it's possibly the font that's slightly kind of not quite what it could be but then we're talking 1992 so um, yeah, anyway let's not get down the nerdy route of um, talking about fonts that's uh, starting that podcast up next week comic sounds winning comic sounds yes um, needless to say, uh, the comments we got back on this one were uh, interesting, to say the least. Um, uh, this Football Day on Twitter said, um, haven't read the blurb yet, but in my opinion, a great kit does not need to be beautiful, which I think is kind of a positive comment. Yes. It is, um, yeah. 
uh, James Taylor, who we've heard from uh, already, just basically typed in every character using the shift key that he could find on his um, on his keyboard, as if to explain um, you know expletives and, and such like. Um, Steve Halliwell via Facebook just said, "Oh dearie me." Ralph Pomeroy also on Facebook said, "Now you are taking." The piss. Uh, Stuart Humphreys <laughs> via Facebook said, "I remember that kit. I'm a Rotherham United fan. Match winner produced our kits too. We had good and bad by them. 1991-1992 uh, kits. So, um, so there you go. I think that's pretty much covered every possible uh, base in, uh, every, uh, right throughout the extreme, from good to bad, actually. But um, uh, can I just make one extra... sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, go on. Well, make one extra quick point. Listen to those results and listen to those comments." I think it's really important to say that we do, we're not just choosing shirts that we're throwing in to be controversial. You know, there's, yeah. there's genuine, exactly. isn't it? There's genuine reasons why that's a great shirt, and we're not just saying, well, you know, let's throw in, let's throw in this one that everyone hates. That'll stir it up. <clears throat> it's not about that at all. But it's interesting to hear that people still don't like it. Yeah, it's it's um, always going to sort of touch a nerve. I think that particular shirt design, and you're either very starkly for or against it, needless to say. But um, as you're quite right there, John, I was going to say something very similar. We're not just trying to be impish or clever or mm. you know contrary. We're we're you know including these shirts on merit because we think that they're good. So uh, uh, as long as you're uh, uh, well informed on that particular issue. But anyway, we now move on to number 14 in our countdown. It's uh, one that I nominated, actually. It's the uh, Italy shirt that they wore in uh, 2000, 2001, a home shirt, uh, wore, uh, manufactured rather by Kappa. And, um, well, what I like about this in brief is it's just got a very minimalist sort of styling to it. Um, there are no fancy flashes or blocks of colour or anything like that. The, the possibly the most um, eye-opening thing about this shirt is that the tone of blue is slightly slightly lighter than what we uh, come to expect from the Italian national team. That when that was brought in by Kappa, let's say, opened your eyes a little bit. It had the um, old uh, Italian badge uh, in the form of a shield rather than the sort of circular badge, which again we're perhaps more familiar with. But if anything. The main feature of the shirt not only is the colour, but it's the stitching that was used around the round neck and also sort of going from the neck down the sides of the shirts and under the arms as well. That, in a strange sort of way, is the biggest feature of the shirt, and it's eye-catching. Um, you wouldn't think just ordinary sort of stitching really would, would be a feature because it's a it's just sort of <laughs> it holds together the fabric let's be honest but it's actually used in a decorative way here and that's what I really like about it but it's very understated it's not it's not even white stitching to complement the uh, to contrast with the blue it's uh, just a darker blue and then you've got the Kappa logo it's not on the on the breast it's actually they've put one on each uh, uh, sleeve um, and that's about it but it's it's just the sheer styling and the understatedness of it which um, uh, Kappa I think they've sort of um, got the contract for the Italian national team the season before and came up with a relatively sort of traditional looking shirt, uh, not a bad shirt, but this one, uh, it, it just had a very simple round neck and as I say, nothing nothing fancy or, or gearish about it and that's all of that put together is why I love this shirt. There's not much else to say about it really. Um, who would like to jump in at that point and give their own views? Me. <laughs> Go on then. Um, I... When this shirt first came out, I hated it, <laughs> and I, I, I think I, I don't know. I, I just, there was, I think because it was so plain, I just thought, oh, it's just so lazy. 
and I, I hated the, uh, the the skin tighteners. Not that I ever tried to wear one, but I didn't like and and I just and I didn't particularly like the shift to the lighter blue. And yet now they are all the things I love about this shirt because I absolutely and now I think it's an absolutely gorgeous shirt. Um, I think Italy look better when they play in the lighter blue. I don't know. There's something about it. I think it looks nicer. I love. The, the, like you said, the stitching. I love the fact it's such a plain shirt, and it was. And it's funny, isn't it, to think that at the time, that in itself, going back to a incredibly minimalistic style, was groundbreaking. Which because mm. it's like things had gone so the other way, and and everything was you know de- all about the, the little details and stuff. And this came along, and it was just like again, like you said in your article, Chris, an absolute game changer. So mm. yeah, I absolutely love it, and I. I I don't know. I, 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 I kind of aggrieved that I didn't like it at the time because I kind of didn't get to appreciate it while it was around. So mm. that sounds a little bit strange, though. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely love it. Fantastic shirt. Um, John, yeah? Yeah, I think it's um, from pure aesthetics, it, it, it's perfect, as you say, Chris. It, I love the reverse stitching. Um, <clears throat> the fact that the logo is really high up on the shoulders as well, leaving the badge free. On the, on the left-hand side over the heart again. Um, I, mean, I think the shirt was one of those ones that was, that was, again, it was constructed for a purpose. I think it was, was it the 1998 World Cup where the, it was shirt pulling was the biggest kind of controversy? I can't remember. Yeah, about it was right. a massive thing about pulling shirts. And, of course, Kappa developed these this series of the, the combat shirts. It was that they kind of did a new one every year, combat spelt with a K. And the idea was, with a combination of polyester and spandex, it was designed to, you know, prevent shirt pulling. That it was, it was so skin tight that you couldn't kind of grab hold of it. Um, so, from a revolutionary point of view, the silhouette of the players looked so different. I think the sleeves were still very long, so that the sleeves, rather than being big and baggy, they were long and tight, but going right down to the elbow. And again, it gave it a really distinctive look, which you didn't see anywhere else. And the reverse stitching helped with that in terms of a comfort point of view. The idea that the, you know the stitching wouldn't rub as such, but they turned it into this wonderful decorative feature, which I love on every shirt that it appears. I love reverse stitching. Mm. Uh, interesting, and I read somewhere, and I can't figure out, I can't, can't place where it was, that the Italian players, although it was skin tight, they actually preferred to wear them a size bigger than what they normally wore. Hmm. Um, for Maybe it was even too skin tight for them at those times. I, I'm not I'm trying to find a reference for that. So, I mean, that yeah. whole so I was just going to say, that's the thing. I remember it as being a sort of skin-tight shirt, and yet when I was doing the research to remind myself of what it looked like, all the pictures I found, it just didn't look all that skin-tight. I thought maybe I misremembered it, but that explanation that you just said, John, would, would be that would justify my my supposed insanity. I'll try and track that down and tweet that, that reference. But also I think maybe looking back on it, Chris, we look back and, of course, we forget how big shirts were in those days. So at yeah. the time, with the hindsight of what players are wearing now, it maybe doesn't look as tight, but of course back there it would have been a vast, a vast difference. But it's, um, and I think by the time it was rolled out amongst, um, who wore it in the UK? Was it Spurs? Spurs and somebody else wore oh, it. I think yes, Wales wore yeah. it. Wow, that's right. They did, and they were becoming tighter and tighter. But of course, Italian style, you know, they always want to look good, so they, uh, they obviously <laughs> kind of pushed it a little bit. But yeah, I think the whole, the whole Kappa combat shirts are great. Uh, yeah, really good. And uh, and Jay. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's um, it, obviously a hugely important shirt or series of shirts, the whole Kappa Combat thing. The, in terms of how hard it was to grab hold of them, because you didn't have an extra bit of fabric flapping, then obviously you couldn't get grip of it. But actually, if you if you grabbed hold of it, it was it was quite a loose fabric, so it would stretch, and that 
mm. also applied to to which size you bought it in. So it would it would stretch up if you got it if you got it in your usual size, which very few people did. So if you're a medium, you probably wouldn't buy it in a medium. You probably want it at least one one size a little bit bigger, um, which the players may may well have done. There's a couple of other good points there that about the the crest um, they brought in this shield, which it's just on, dawned on me this this second that that shield is is like the Scudetto shield mm. that that uh, Italian champions wear uh, each season, and I hadn't actually thought of that before. That that was I don't know if it was something that Italy I suppose it was something that Italy had had in the past that that classic shield shape with the Italian flag in it. Um, so to bring in that back is it brings in a, a spot. Uh, Suppose consistent with with what the the Italian champions was wearing, so a tie between club and country like that as well. Uh, mm. the, the thing about the manufacturer's logo on the on the sleeves, Italy were one of the last teams to actually wear a manufacturer's logo on the on the chest. It was mm. either I think in Euro '96 they didn't have it, although the replica versions did, and then in in France '98 I think Nike <coughs> did have their logo on the shirts, but I might be wrong there. Um, but certainly. <laughs> Was it Kappa back in the 90s as well, Jay, that they didn't... Or was it Nike then? It was Nike from 96 to 98, I think. Um, right. Or certainly those two tournaments, Euro 96 and France 98, I believe, was both Nike. And in one of those tournaments, I think they wore the the logo on the shirt for the first time. But I might, I might be wrong about that. Mm. But certainly Italy were a team that really pushed back against having the logo on the player's shirts. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's the sort of continuation of that for the Kappa logo to be on the sleeves. Um, yeah, that's, those are the, the main things about it. But it is, it's classy and it's, it, it's a stereotype of the, the Italians looking classy in their shirts, in the <laughs> nice slim fitting shirts with uh, yeah, sexy men tight tops. <laughs> and there we have to leave that one right <clears throat> yes no fair enough too absolutely and and by George they look very good in those shirts too so uh, um, just going to pick out one comment on this one that's from Russell Osborne who uh, on Facebook said uh, a surprising entry but reading it a justified one that's three I've owned now but well, well done Russell very good that's good Excellent. good stuff yeah and um, finally on this podcast because we uh, we have to show our irreverence one way or the other. We're going to stop at number thirteen, um, and for reasons that we'll explain uh, towards the end of the podcast. But um, this is the last one for this podcast. It's uh, the Manchester United 1992 to 1994 third shirt by Umbro. Another one that uh, you may know by its uh, other names, uh, for which we'll just basically say uh, the Newton Heath shirt, the yellow and green shirt. Uh, I'm sure you know which one we're talking about here. It was nominated by Jay. So Jay. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I, I suppose the um, the thing is that it's the, it's the green and gold shirt. This is um, a shirt which was it's supposedly a reference to Manchester United's beginnings. So it was released in 1992, and there was a big uh, marketing campaign, which people would have seen the pictures, I'd imagine, which shows the team either as a, a team photo or a group of players together wearing this shirt with the lace-up collar and the halves design of green and gold um, with sort of uh, 19th century attire in terms of uh, Alex Ferguson wearing a very old-style coat and I think a hat and strange uh, handlebar moustaches and that kind Horse of thing. Moustaches. Yes. Uh, sorry, not handlebar moustaches, but curly, curly... Uh, curly moustaches, yes. Yeah, <laughs> curly-ended moustaches. 
Um, probably are handlebar mustaches. If you with a handlebar, like a big biker gang kit, that would be beautiful. <laughs> uh, the um, the the thing that gets me about this show is, and everyone knows it, and it, it this there is this combination of the old style, the reference to the the beginnings of the club in Newton Heath, which was a a, a railway company. It started out as a a railway workers company, I think. Um, uh, something in Newton Heath and Yorkshire Railway Company, something like those, along those lines. Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway Company, something like that. Um, supposedly, the first shirt that this forerunner to Manchester United uh, team wore was uh, a green and gold half shirt. Now, I'm not 100% sure if that is the case. It's been accepted now. Uh, this is the, the received wisdom is that, that Manchester United first wore these colours. Uh, so this was brought back in 1992. And it's become this 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 concept, and now it's been adopted by the anti-Glazer factions of the Manchester United support. So there's this whole mini industry that comes off the back of this. Uh, the the fact the fact is this shirt came out was incredibly popular and made a huge impact, and it looked great as well. I remember uh, the the best shot of it is Andre Konchelskis getting sent off against Aston Villa in the League Cup final and he, he's wearing the long sleeve version and he's untucked and it just looks so fantastic as a as a, a football shirt especially early 90s it fits that period perfectly when when a lot of teams were looking back in their histories to to modernize old old styles of shirts and this was so different it was something that to to bring back these old colors in this way even if they weren't really the old colours, because I I suspect that they may never have actually worn this these colours. It it was obviously black and white photographs, so it, I suspect it might have been white and red. But as I say, the received wisdom is that it's it's green and gold, and yeah, it had a huge impact back then. And for me, a fantastic shirt. Yeah, um, I just um, for what it's worth, I'd, I'll just chip in and basically say I just thought it was refreshing history or whatever aside the fact that they'd broken away if, if only briefly from the traditional uh, chain strips that they had back then Manchester United which were traditionally either white you know with black or blue and to suddenly have yellow and green it was an amazing splash of color and it just looked so, so refreshing and then in halves I think halves is going to be the new diagonal sash for, for next year I just want to say that right now ladies and gents so you hear it here first um, I think um, there's something about a halved shirt and it just looked great in yellow and green and um, yes as you said it completely tied in with that whole vintage retro thing that, um, that Umbro were doing back then We've, I think we mentioned on a previous podcast a terrific shirt, laces at the top um, if only decorative um, lovely, lovely stuff um, John? Yeah I agree, I, mean, I remember at the time it, it, it really ruffled feathers when it came out I think people really didn't like it but you're quite right, it just shook up that, that red, white, blue kind of um, trilogy of kits that United had all throughout the 80s mm. and, and previous to that as well. I mean, I, it's really interesting. I always, UnitedKits.com, who are the, the Man United experts, they seem to, you know, going towards that yellow and green and, and believe that that could well be the colours. Because I think they wore a yellow and green striped shirt a few years later. So it does kind of make sense, but it's almost—it's quite funny. It's almost like, do you believe in a Loch Ness monster? You know, what do you believe the Man United half shirt was—white and red, um, or 
or yellow and green. But it's uh, yeah, it's certainly a massively brave move from Umbro at the time. But it really showed the difference in design, football kit design thinking that was beginning to really happen at that point. It, it was the beginning of this this new era in uh, what a football shirt could could do and where it could seek its influence from. So mm. you have a brilliant shirt. And finally, to you, Rich. Um, I think this is one where I've kind of changed my opinion of it over time, but kind of reverse of what I normally do, which is I, I quite liked this when it came out, but over time I've, I've become a bit ambivalent towards it. I just think, I don't know, it's nice. I think from, from at the time, I think it was really nice, and I, I like the fact that they did something traditional, um, historically accurate or not. Um, I think one thing that annoys me, though, is the fact that like everything on it is properly halved, barring the collar, obviously, which is hard to halve a collar, except mm. that the left sleeve is green, mm-hmm. and so is the left half of the shirt, and then the right sleeve is green, although the left half of the shirt is yellow. Sorry, the right half of the shirt, half of the shirt is yellow. And it's like, why did they not change the colour of the sleeve? The opposite sleeve, yeah. It's Would just, it nice? and okay, e- even if the original shirts look like that, Surely, from a design aesthetic now, you'd just change the colour of that sleeve. I don't know, it just bugs me. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, like I say, I, I'm kind of come ambivalent about it now, but I think, that's, I think that's come about because of the amount of hype that this shirt's had, and I think that's probably been enhanced by the anti-glazer movement. In fact, it'd be interesting to see whether this shirt would be as fondly remembered had it not been adopted as a kind of anti-glazer thing. I'm not suggesting mm. that people like it because they don't like the glazers, but I just think it's kept it in the public consciousness. Yeah. And it's interesting to see if whether whether this would have just been regarded as another retro one that you know passed us by, or whether it's actually because of that that we're more aware of it. Because there were a lot of retro shirts around at the time, like Aston Villa's one, mm. which you know doesn't ever make any list of great shirts. It was crap, but you know a lot of people liked it. And I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, and listeners, I nominated that shirt. It didn't make it. All right, just so just so you know, that was, it was crap. Shirt. <laughs> I, I quite like the Villa shirt as well. The um, now you tell me. <laughs> I, yeah, it didn't I, I'm it. sure I must have second. Did I not second it? I, I apologise, Chris. The yeah. the thing with this, I think the sleeves on the supposed original version from 1892 or whatever it was, or 18 something. I assume 1892. Um, the I, I I have a feeling that they were halved as well. The sleeves, so they had like a. On one side, yellow front and green back, and the other side, uh, green front and and yellow back. But um, uh, maybe the the reason, and I can't believe I've been given the opportunity to get this in at the end of, of oh, this podcast. Don't, don't say Just do it. Stop recording. Stop it now. Just stop recording. Anyway, this goodbye from him. <laughs> I have to do it now. No, um, no. If the two sleeves. <laughs> then maybe it's concession no. to which base layers would be available in 15 years' time. Absolutely cretin. I'm definitely getting a base layer klaxon jingle made up, I tell you. Can we just get a mute button instead? <laughs> uh, fair, fair, fair play to you, Jay, for shoehorning that in. <laughs> At least he always leaves it to the very end, it's so so we don't lose viewers, uh, listeners early on, or even viewers. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think that's probably as good a, a point as any to uh, to draw matters to a close for this podcast in the nicest possible way. 
Um, that's the shirts from 20 to 13 in our countdown, and uh, there will be more. Uh, we're, we've decided to fragment, shall we say, the, uh, the remaining uh, shirts that we're going to be discussing, instead of going in tens, because we want to give the top five some special uh, focus. So the next podcast will take you from number 12 to number six, and then the one after that will take you from five to one, and uh, by that stage you will know who is, uh, which shirt is the greatest football shirt ever, as far as we're concerned. Uh, the uh, the post is going to be going live in about um, ooh, half an hour, I suppose, as we're recording this. Not that that's of any consequence to you, but um, it's kind of strange to be talking about shirts that went live on our website some some weeks ago, and, um, <laughs> and we're just about to find out what the number one shirt is. But anyway, I digress. Uh, just leaves me to say uh, thank you to all of you that have been uh, sending us your comments, your feedback, many names that we mentioned on the last podcast. Uh, but uh, any of you that uh, have been getting in contact with us, uh, thank you very much indeed for that. We appreciate your involvement, and it's been great hearing your views. Keep them coming in, and um, needless to say, uh, we'll be uh, discussing more shirts on the next podcast. Uh, for the time being, though, I just uh, want to say thank you very much indeed to Rich, to John, and to Jay. Great talking to you as ever, and uh, we'll be back again for another podcast very, very soon. Uh, be sure to go to thefootballattic.com for that. Uh, for the time being... From the four of us, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.